welcome back to Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz. I'm the founder of Future of Film, host of this show, where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers, and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. And this is a special episode of the show. It's called Reimagine the Green Light, and it features not one, but three of my favourite thinkers in the space. Anjali Mida is the former head of entertainment at Twitter and the founder and CEO of the entertainment analytics platform Diesel Labs. Arena Albita is the co-founder and co-CEO of Filmchain, the blockchain-based platform that is revolutionising the collection of revenues in film and TV. And Ted Hope, the producer, of course, of over 70 feature films, the former head of production at Amazon Studios and author of the book Hope for Film and blog of the same name. So, as I mentioned, this episode is called Reimagine the Greenlight and it's part of a series presented by Screenovators called Reimagine the Ecosystem. What is Screenovators? Well, Screenovators is a free online community dedicated to innovation in the screen industries. If you're listening to this, you would definitely find some information and connections in there which are going to be relevant to you. So do check it out at screenovators.com and it's spelled like it sounds. So as I mentioned today, the topic of a conversation was how we can rethink the green light process to make better, smarter, and more equitable decision-making in film. And it was a particularly great day to have this chat as it had just been announced that agreement had finally been reached between the actors and the studios in the long running trade dispute. So there's a lot that we covered and a lot about innovation, technology, and data. How can we leverage data how can we leverage audience like insights how can we move towards greater transparency in that process all to the benefit as ted eloquently puts it to build it back better so that just leaves me to say now thank you for listening i hope you enjoy this conversation with myself anjali mida arena albita and first ted hope who I ask how his experience of the festival circuit has been with his latest film. All right. Well, well, thank you, Alex. It's great. It's great to be here and participating with everybody. You know, festivals, you can't deny, are, are also markets, right? That they, they are where films are discovered, where films are sold, where the kind of often a uh, early place in the, the chain of audience development, right? And, you know, and it's not just we've it's not just the doom and gloom of, of two strikes in the U.S., you know, happening simultaneously, you know, the year started off with Sundance with only a handful of films being acquired, right? And however you want to evaluate that, recognizing that films aren't acquired allows you to to say like, there seems to be a flaw in the green light process, right? Because how these films getting made and not getting sold, that's generally the, the, the goal. And one of the things that you see, you know, in kind of the the taking the temperature of the room when you're out on the festivals, as as we are with Invisible Nation, 
my uh, wife's film on the Taiwan geopolitical uh, predicament right now, how to get that in, uh, made, made sure impression, Invisible Nation, you know, you, you, you start to see that we've really spent, you know, particularly on the indie side of things, 50 years of building things the wrong way. Like that's the situation we're in now. And that often comes down to the fact that the private equity in the space goes to production. It doesn't go to production and marketing and distribution as a lot of people have been saying it should for at least 15 or 20 years. And it certainly doesn't go to production, marketing, distribution, and infrastructure rebuild, right? And that's perhaps the most crucial and almost defining moment of this time, because one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I think we can recognize is that in any ecosystem, right? In any ecosystem, you can spot tons of operational improvements to both the product and the process that, that could be done, but are less unaddressed because at least for those that reap the biggest rewards, it's good enough, right? It doesn't need to be fixed. But those become really uh, critical for all of the, the the outsiders on the other side of that that gate that are trying to to uh, course correct in both uh, the what the product is like make better movies, but also how we do things. And if that if those all got addressed, it would be transformable, right? You look at something like Amazon, right, where I had the privilege of working for five and a half years. And it wasn't an online bookstore that Jeff Bezos was building, right? From the beginning, he was building a better infrastructure for the fulfillment and delivery industry and lifting all of that up. And by doing all of addressing all of those needs, he became indispensable to the entire world, right? And that's really the neglect we've had in the independent film space and really the studio space, the Hollywood space too. We are not uh, actually addressing all of the changes that have occurred or using all the tools that we have, right? We could lift all boats if the equity markets kind of shifted and said, let's address operational improvements. Let's try to make sure that we improve our processes. You know, so that's step one, right? Like that, you see that that cultural and uh, complete neglect within our ecosystem. And step two is how do these films get greenlit in the first place? Not that they're bad, but they're not necessarily always addressing the needs or the existing ecosystem's uh, ability to bring those to audiences and engage. There are flaws in the process. I, I need to shut up or I'll just keep talking for an hour. <laughs> yeah. And as I yes, and I guess there's lots of questions which spin off from that is that, you know, what would that look like? How could how can we build that better uh, or more effective uh, model collectively? And I suppose it starts with uh, you know, it's a segue to our other panelists, uh, companies like um, Film Chain and, and Diesel Labs. I mean, maybe start with you, Arena, if I, if I may. Film Chain, what? Um, tell us about that and how you see, you know, from from your vantage point, what are the, I guess, what are the sort of pieces of information that you're when you're talking to filmmakers, you're talking to producers and and 
um, and commissioning bodies, what are the pieces of information that you're often seeing that they, they lack in the process? Thank you, Alex. There are so many anchor points in uh, in uh, Ted's um, uh, introduction that, yes, I think there's a lot uh, that needs to be done in the process, in the operations, uh, in the business of film, TV, um, not so much on the, of course, on the creative side as well, but in the business of film, when it comes to the, um, to the to the actual green lighting process, the funds, well, a lot of them, um, both in, in Europe, in the US, in Canada and Australia, because we work across the globe with um, uh, with uh, financiers, is um, uh, it's it's really we're, we're looking at um, uh, building that transparency for the financiers to have a better understanding of their return on the investment. And I think that sits somewhere between the producers and the financiers, improving that communication, improving um, that that flow of information and that da- data flow. Ultimately, um, the financiers want to see, well, how is you know how much am I going to make out of this? We have to be frank. That's their that's their uh, core core uh, question. Um, and the producers at the same time need to be. Um, need to be fueled with the right data and be educated with the right data to be able to communicate with those financiers. So one of the things, uh, particularly as a digital collection account system, we're, we're, uh, we're enabling, um, and this is for us has been core principle from day one is we really believe that every creator, every filmmaker deserves transparent information on data and their money. So, Delivering yeah, them yeah. That, those payments, it's uh, super important. Um, and uh, briefly on, on that, um, we need to never forget that behind every dollar that a film collects, uh, dollar, euro, pound, Canadian dollar, whatever it may be, there's a lot of metadata, a lot of pieces of information that paint a much broader picture. So how far did the distributor pay? Where? What was the geographical split of the money that came in? All that together starts painting a broader picture of the performance and the profitability of a project. Data that the producers can take with them and actually go and finance better their next project or inform their financiers on more interesting uh, insights about their potential. And all of us can develop best practices from that. Like our group learning could just be lifted tremendously. How much does the value of that depends a lot on having a, a big data pool, if you like, so you're able to compare and benchmark the the, the, the projects? Well, I'd love to kind of get An- Anjali's uh, point on that, but I would say it's even valuable on a project by project basis, just better understanding your one project at a time, having that um immediacy of information and um ability to 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 analyze the information you're capturing over over the course of your project is still important so amongst the things you know just a very uh quick example let's see let's say you um the current status quo is as a producer you would get that one pdf report shared with you at best at the end of the year that tells you okay this is how much your film sold 
what can you do? You can't can't do anything with that information a year down the line. It's uh, it, you, you can't react in any way to that information. That's already historical. So um, that the ability to get, let's say, the most recent quarter report on how much your film made, what were your um, royalty, what was your for your royalties for that particular uh, project. Let's say you see that it sells really well in Germany. Well, maybe that makes up, up an interesting point for you to start tackling more German language markets, uh, go to the Netherlands, go to other markets. So that really sort of enables producers to be a lot more um, uh, proactive and uh, rather than just passive in this process. Yeah, I just want to chime in with that. Like what, what Irene is pointing out, film is a living, breathing thing that you need to react in real time to. And we have the ability to do that and yet we haven't unlocked it, right? So we haven't actually unlocked the full potential of our product, right? In that, you know, you 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 look you look at something, say, uh, you know, I'm a devotee of, of Substack. I have a newsletter I publish a couple of times a week a week on that, and we get real. I get payments every single day. And I get real-time analytics of the engagement levels of the different people. And I can evaluate who my super users are. I know who shares my my stuff. Um, It's super helpful if I was going to actually try to use that to maximize, uh, you know, revenue. There's no reason we couldn't be doing that for all of our, uh, all of our, you know, TVOD, anything that's online. And you start to to see that we don't know how to prepare for that, right? We don't have the the details, like how do you unlock the potential of engagement in the midst of release? There actually are things that we can do. There is that information, which I think is a softball right to you, Angeli. Thank you so much for that very subtle uh, flip over the fence. No, I appreciate that. Um, Hi, everybody. Uh, It's really nice to be here. And thank you, um, Alex, for having me as well. That's exactly right. So at Diesel Labs, we're measuring basically every single atom of audience engagement across the entire spectrum of where people talk about their favorite films or favorite movies. So everything from your Facebooks and Instagrams to your TikToks and your Reddits um, and everything in between. And so what that enables us to do is actually understand precisely what you just described, not just, you know, are people getting excited about something in the weeks, months, and sometimes even years before something comes out, but who are they? What can we learn about them? Are they influencers? What kind of networks do they have? And where do we see surprise groups coming into the picture and getting involved and sharing their voices and getting excited about film? And how can we then kind of find more of those pockets of individuals to really uh, accelerate our messaging and put the right content in front of the right people? I always say that right now we're facing kind of unprecedented challenges in every form and fashion. So first and foremost, obviously, just the whole, you know, distribution model of theatrical releases was rocked fairly heavily with the pandemic. But we also know that right now, we all as individuals are getting our marketing messages from so many different places. There used to be a little bit of unification in there where like, you know, everyone is watching certain certain specials or certain sports or what have you. But even now, the mechanism to watch those very same programs means that we're all getting different messaging throughout those, those programs. And so 
we have the sort of, there's the one challenge, which is there's so much content now. Our calendars show us, you know, 20, 30, 40 brand new things coming out every single day. It's a staggering amount of content. And then trying to actually put your messaging with limited marketing funds in front of those individuals. How do we do that intelligently? How do we find those groups of people who are really going to enthusiastically advocate and help those marketing dollars work harder by sharing their thoughts and feelings about, about the content as well. And and you see just from that too, right? Like how that could relate back to the green light process and what we could, how we could actually have a better, better practices within that. You know, that um, I think I have a film that's out right now on Amazon called Cassandra, right? Gael Garcia Bernal, hopefully will be nominated for an Oscar because he's brilliant in, in, in it, right? Um, there's a scene in the movie that felt tailor-made in some ways to become either a meme or to somehow, you know, penetrate that this, you know, the, the era of distraction. Yeah, how do you, how do you break through, right? In that we had, uh, it, you know, scripted, and then we ca- we cast this uh, unknown actor, um, best known as Bad Bunny. Right, the, the producers actually spent their money to 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 cast him because we didn't have it in the budget to 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 make it work. Even though he basically worked for free, when you have someone like Bad Bunny, you need a lot of security and so on. But he was still he was still kind of popping in his global takeover of our you know of all culture. Um, and in the scene, um, Gael's character who who's gay kisses him. Right. Deeply on the mouth. And we're like, oh, my God, that that image alone could break the entire Internet. Right. You know, like you see you see how early release drops of certain imagery can really move move things. But did it did we single that out in the green light process? Did we say, oh, this film actually has five memeable, you know, uh, items that we have these things that could work as social moments on all these different social media platforms. Had we had that, we would have had a strategy on how to do that too, on how best to use it. It it dropped. It didn't really do much damage to the internet. You know, it felt transactional. And I think that that theme, you know, like like just in the beginning when Irina was talking, you start to see that when we get a statement at the end of the year, that's all it's saying is your product is transactional, right? But film is an art form that transforms people's lives. And it does that more and more when you see all of the different points that people can engage with it and you actually utilize those points. So it's part of our daily experience. You know, as Angelique pointed out, like in um, this world where we're getting hit with so many things, how do you use what's available to us? It should be part of the artist bill of rights that we have total access transparency of the data that our work generates, right? It should be part of the green light process that says that this fulfills the artist's bill of rights, right? It should uh, highlight what it is, what is the state of the art that we can use to gain competitive advantage in this world of abundance, of cultural abundance? How can we use these tools? Are you developing better practices 
to do that in your process, because if not, you're losing. If we reduce everything down to the green light process is just about profit, it's not about brand awareness, it's not about goodwill that's brought to our companies that are releasing these films, it's not about gaining competitive advantage, it's not about cultural relevancy. All of these things should be part of the green light process, not just the comps, uh, who are the old actors, the old directors, and the old genres that worked previously when the world was built differently? How do we build things for today? That's the flaw of the green light process is it's not about trying to move into the future. It's only looking towards the past. Well, and I think that's, it's so interesting that you say that because I, my heart goes out to everyone who is creatively involved in these projects. So we're coming at it from a data perspective and people often ask me, they're like, Anjali, you know, is AI going to take over? Is data going to take over? Is it going to suck all the creativity out of the process? And I'm like, absolutely not. That's not what the data is here for. The data is here to enable our friends on the creative side to do the passion projects that they all care so much about. And also to give everyone the opportunity to put the work out there in a very meaningful way. And that has just gotten really, really tough given how much stuff there is out there in the world already. It used to be that, you know, getting your project funded was like the biggest milestone. And now it feels like there are several other equally difficult milestones that have to be met through the process, which is what is the marketing strategy? How are we going to take advantage of this hopefully internet breakable moment of, you know, an intimate scene with Bad Bunny. Well, you know, companies like ours, we're tracking, you know, Bad Bunny's engagement in real time, constantly. We know exactly who's engaging with him in his profiles, wherever they might be. And we also know when we see sort of disruptive amounts of conversation in any direction. These are things actually that we're preparing now to kind of feed into all of these really sophisticated and smart AI models so that the decisioning can happen faster. Imagine if, you know, our, our team or any team could have come to you to say, hey, Bad Bunny right now is on an uptick. There's a really interesting swing in his favor. Now would be a great time to harness all of that great, you know, the imagery that you have and become a part of this conversation. And this could have happened before the film was even in the can, right? Um, because, you you know, you had these assets ready on standby. And so just... Just, I know I'm spitballing and I'm very outside of my box, which is a data box here, but I appreciate your kindness and letting me spitball here because I do see a really, I guess I am very optimistic about how these various elements can come together in service of, of all these amazing projects. You, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, Calvin Mays uh, in the chat box just wrote, you know, film tech equals new wave, right? Um, which when you, you, the question often could, should, should be precisely how do we apply these things in the green light process that if we actually built in that, that goal, this process has the potential to be a test kitchen, you know, where we could gain competitive advantage or, um, break through the noise, gain distinction, you know, in in the awareness level of our film early. Um, in three, you know, we want each of our films to do it in three ways. We don't request that that happens. Does it say anywhere in the green light process that we are trying to develop 
you know, uh, four new best practices for uh, data uh, analysis or for, you know, addressing the recognizable trends, you know, already in the industry or to, to make sure that we uh, capture the the material in such a way that allows for the porting to different platforms in the manufacture of social moments. Sure, people are going to start to say like, wait, wait, I thought I was trying to make both art and commerce here. And now you're saying I need to do engagement too. Well, the answer is yes, you actually do. You know, if you want to unlock all the inherent power the transformative power of the human spirit, you know, um, with, with your movie, you have to start to look at it. And I think it goes back to the very beginning question, you know, uh, about the green light process. Ha have we done, you know, do all companies, do all artists and entrepreneurs do the, the basic process of saying, okay, what are the first principles that we're built on that we want to engage with, right? And that might be like, I'm trying to, you know, make the greatest movie of all time, or I'm trying to make something that speaks to my community, or I just want to have a film that gets into the top festivals, or I want to have a profitable venture, right? Um, whatever those principles are, you know, and then, you know, or, or I guess the profitable one would be more of a, of a goal, how, you know, what, from these principles, what are the goals that we're trying to achieve with this movie? And then what, you know, what are the tactics that we need to employ so that they're based on the first principles, you know, and that they're driven towards the, the goals that like very rarely does that even um, come into account. Like it just doesn't feel like that. Well, no. Yeah, I mean, normally, normally it's just like let's let's get it made. <laughs> let's just get it made any way we can, and uh, and then we'll figure it out. We'll figure out the distribution marketing. And so, how much actually? How much do you think that that's that that sort of mindset's been exacerbated by the streaming kind of model where you have you, there's the the you know this is obviously what strikes have been all about but that idea that there's no it's a it's a it's a it's a flat fee there's no upside and so it's really you're just as a filmmaker for hire so my cat is uh <laughs> <the> conversation <laughs> that's it. your Take spirit animal yeah. has been unleashed <laughs> yeah, she gets very, gets very upset about streaming yeah carry, carry on no, I, I think, you know, I, I can't speak to the upside and sort of the, the financial aspect of it. And I definitely would like to hear uh, Irina's thoughts on that in just a second. From where we sit, it's sort of like if a tree falls in the woods, right? There's so much content that comes out. I mean, if I quizzed everybody here right now, could you name, you know, the 15 things that came out on Netflix this year or 10 things? This that came week. That, yeah, for, exactly. This week. I don't think many of us could answer that question. And now that's not to say that every single piece of content is designed to generate, you know, Barbie or Barbenheimer levels of, of engagement. Certainly not. But at the same time, having that engagement in certain communities to raise awareness, to kind of help make sure people even know that that content exists, because otherwise a vast majority of that content, especially when it's being distributed by the streamers, is getting almost zero marketing attention, at least not from a, you know, a traditional marketing campaign perspective outside of maybe some of their own channels. And so that I think inherently makes it really, really difficult if you're not thinking smartly about 
how to make sure people pick that message up and carry some of that water for us because we know the marketing dollars are so limited. Oh, absolutely. And I, I would love to uh, chime in on the fact that, um, well, first of all, uh, we, we're seeing this uh, requirement coming in more and more from, from the industry. Uh, in, in Europe, we have the European Copyright Directive uh, being legislated to essentially empower creators with knowledge and access to financials. Uh, in North America, well, the, the guilds, they've been pushing uh, for, for dividing by better pay, residuals, uh, transparency, uh, and of course, the well-legislated use of AI. Um, so everything uh, takes us to the exact same point. Well, there, there needs to be uh, more, more um, uh, data that is shared uh, back with the creators um, and also uh, more equitable pay. So in that sense, I, there was an interesting question I've seen in the chat where uh, Raphael asks, is there precedence for negotiating data transparency in the green lighting process? And I would say, yes, we're seeing this. I think what we're fighting is with, we're fighting, fighting with um, a lot of the times with adoption. We're fighting with folks um, um, not wanting to take advantage of the, the all the all the um, data that could be shared with them. So, uh, but in 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 our work as a as a digital collection agent, we see this all the time. We've seen projects that have been uh, structured in a way where um, every single incoming gross receipt is shared across all the parties in the project, whether it's uh, producers, talent, everyone gets an opportunity to see. Of course, these are the moment exceptions, but the uh, the technology, the ability to share that data is there. It's with them. Uh, it's a, just a matter of choice. But one of the things that we're seeing on our end, um, uh, based on the experience of the past, let's say post-pandemic, uh, we're seeing sales agents, distributors coming in and actually strategizing how can they become more um uh perceived and actually making changes internally to become uh trans that that transparent distributor that transparent sales agent to improve the communication and ultimately have have a um leg up in the negotiations with talent where talent do have options of where they want to take their content so we're also seeing that change in that direction which is um very you know optimistic from 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 where we stand and it speaks of the, the the real potential with a shift in the process, you know, how that could affect both the 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 revenue, the ecosystem and the products themselves, you know, that, you know, let's look at the world. Right. We don't really try to uh, look at the sustainability of our planet in the pricing of objects right right now and look where it's got us right we haven't looked at things like equitable wealth or diversity and inclusion aspects and and uh in all the businesses that we do right how do we actually what if we started trying to care to better this world in the process if that was part of our responsibility or at least an evaluation could it change things, right? So when I, you know, entered the corporate side of the film business, most of the green light process only used traditional comps, right? The the director, the stars, the past performance of the, the genre, right? And the history of film at that point in time was dominated by white, straight men 
of a certain age, right? Those were the stars, those were the directors, and those were the people that partook in the, the genre. So if you were basing out on comps, you were biased to continue that trend. How do you how do you change that so you can actually say say like wait a second there's something uh, wrong we can build a better mousetrap all it took was actually looking towards cultural relevancy right because we might only have some people think you know sixty story forms or whatever themes that people care about I don't agree uh, to that but to that date. They were made by and starring folks from a very certain perspective, right? If you are in a audience acquisition business, which is what the current business model of global of the global streaming platforms is, you know you have to engage with you know the other half of the world that isn't that, right? You know, or whatever that per percentage is. And so once you started addressing questions of cultural relevancy, you knew that you had to build into your process some diversity and inclusion uh, ta tactics and just a much wider spread of, of uh, taste offerings so, you know, uh, that, that you could to actually acquire those audiences so they could see themselves represented before and behind the, the, the camera. It was a simple little fix that really needed to, to be done and it improved the, the business. I think in those same sort of things, if in the green light process, you were trying to create sustainability of the ecosystem and a forward looking uh, effort towards that, a constant um, experimentation with new tactics and new tech to learn how to unleash the, the power that's inherent within cinema itself, you would see even a greater level of engagement. All boats would rise, the audiences would, would rise. And then we just have to start to address that. We've ignored it for far too long. I think that's right. And I see in the comments also someone saying, you know, well, how do we define history? How do we think about what those benchmarks are? And I would second the motion that I think it was Christopher who made, which is, you know, looking at 10 years of data at this point for theatrical, it's kind of pointless because, you know, 10 years includes <sighs> the entire pre-pandemic era. It includes the year where we couldn't all go to theaters. And so being strategic and being thoughtful also about how rapidly our society changes culturally to the point I think, Ted, you're trying to make, which is, you know, all of a sudden, three years ago, we, we're now watching all of our content and streaming platforms and these streaming platforms are global in nature. So how, you know, that's why we get Squid Game in the United States and that's why we get to export other content to other places. And so, you know, being being careful about that is, and being sort of strategic and analytical about how to look at that information and then how to quantify the impact of different projects, I think is really important. One of the things we hear all the time is content valuation has become one of the largest challenges because all these platforms tend to keep the most important metrics fairly close to the vest. So we never really quite know how many people watch something on a Netflix or how many people watch something on a Disney Plus. They give us obfuscated metrics. This many minutes were watched and you have to do the math with runtime and all of that. But that's one of the things we're trying to kind of figure out is can we create a value, an understanding of valuation? And even if it's imperfect, can it maybe help us come to you know the two sides of the table and arrive at 
um, you know, to your point about green lighting and negotiations, arrive at something satisfactory where both parties feel like they're actually gaining tremendous value out of the, the transaction. Not to make it all sound so um, boring or <laughs> distill it down to just that mechanical aspect of it, but I think that's a, a big part of how we get to make all these amazing pieces of content. You know, I, I would argue that like, America, the American independent system uh, allowed its best competitive advantage, which which was the the, you know, or two forms of its best for, uh, competitive advantage, the wide amount of private equity that was interested in the independent film space, you know, uh, on on one hand, and the and the the wide range of uh, financing and exploitation um, opportunities, uh, you know, revenue uh, drivers uh, as the the other, which was shared globally. We, you know, now and you know, I I, I think Arena could, you know, show show this very clearly. We we've given a completely unfair competitive advantage, a monopolistic. Um, uh, ability to the global streaming platforms where the, they are the primary, you know, huge percentage of all revenue that that comes in to the extent that uh, certain um, uh, genres uh, can no longer really be expected to recoup currently, you know, um, along the, the, the way. Um, and with that, frankly, even you know certain uh, creative entities are excluded from the, the the process because what we used to have were so many different bites at the apple, right? You know, and you would recognize films that might have uh, you know failed to address different mitigating factors in their theatrical release for one reason or another. They failed in theatrical, but then they uh, totally killed it. In in uh, on the home video platform when we had physical goods, and they to such a degree that they spawned you know sequels you know after that, and now you know be between the 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 dominance uh, the you know the monopolistic practices of the global streaming platforms, the the barrier to entry because no one's going to go out and build a competitor on a global basis as we've seen even the 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 experts with the most amount of capital the other studios have failed in in that degree we don't have alternative revenue streams to tend to right now i would argue that those in the independent space would be wise to build in that as a criteria in the green light process, ability to re-strengthen the infrastructure to provide alternative routes of revenue um, to it would be super wise mm. to do. Like be, mm. you have to build it back better in the words of our president, um, you know, ideally together, you know, to, to make it work again, or else we're going to actually then lose the insights, which, you know, Angeli and others need so desperately you know, to where you see that there are actually course correctors that you can do. We get stuck in in ruts doing the same thing, even when they no longer deliver the same results. You're listening to Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stolz. Thank you for listening. And if you want to find out more about Future of Film, head over to futureoffilm.live. If you're not already, you can already sign up to our newsletter there. 
which contains not only the latest opportunities and news from future of film, but also our pick of the latest articles and opportunities from across the industry. So that's all available now at futureoffilm.live. And now back to the show. Irina, are you um, are you seeing any new forms of finance or new new trends in terms of the the projects that you have been? We are, Alex. With? We are. We are constantly seeing. Well, people are creative. They're constantly looking. How can we finance this? How can we? How can we be more more independent? So that that's it. How can we rely less? And how can we have uh, keep more creative? Uh, power um amongst the um, some of the interesting um methods for example we've seen a, a crowd equity um, campaign and funding mechanism that has done excellent uh coming out of europe of course there's some limitation in in the us but it's um uh, we're we're starting to see in the us as well um more crowd equity campaigns so not crowdfunding but actually proper crowd equity uh funding but, in, in, uh, in just is that is that uh, Web three specifically, or just just um, more it general can, equity? It can, but it doesn't have to. That's the thing. Okay. Um, but the the big challenge when you do such a crowd equity campaign, which is uh, first of all comes with um, some added legal costs for for the producers, uh, a lot of uh, marketing to actually promote it. Uh, it also comes with investment management uh, uh, headache because you do sit on a, let's say on a um, capital table with um, uh, hundreds, if not more of uh, financiers, micro micro investors that need to also get uh, paid and have information and data. We've been able to actually support a number of these projects and it's been fantastic to actually see them work. Um, and that has been invigorating. We're seeing, okay, so particularly for project, it's not for every project, but for those projects that have been able to create a community around a story, uh, they, they're actually able to capitalize on, on that. Nice. Well, that's really interesting. I think touching on that, the idea of, of building a community as part of the development process. So you're coming to the, coming to the green light process or the green light point with an audience already in, in the back and, and maybe some equity funding as well. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Ted, Angeli, any, any any thoughts on on that side of of you know, including the audience at that early stage? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the earlier you can make people aware of what you're working on, the the better. In most cases, I would say, or at least it helps you understand uh, is your is your is your like the idea, the creative idea resonating with different groups of individuals? And if so, how are they talking about it? How are they thinking about it? Because there's so much we can learn from the way that, for example, have you ever, you've, you guys have all had this happen to you, right? Where someone else tries to describe what your job is and you hear someone else for the first time trying to say, you know, hey, this is, you know, what Arena does. This is what Anjali does. But there's so much to learn from just how other people will describe what you're working on. Because we're all too close to our own work to really have that sort of independent perspective. And so one of the cool things that we're doing right now is 
AI, and I know I keep bringing it up and I'm sorry to beat the drum because I'm sure everyone is sick of hearing about this topic these days. It feels like it's taken over all of the, the news waves, but it can summarize information in a way that previously we as humans really couldn't do very efficiently. So we here at Diesel Labs, we're sitting on billions of data points millions and millions and millions of comments, thoughts, you know, unsolicited information from audiences. And we could kind of sort of crunch all of that in in some regard through like human efforts, you know, human and, you know, data science efforts. Now we can summarize it instantly. That means that I can literally get a summary of what people were saying about a piece of content yesterday. How did that change today? What did last week look like? It can all be done so quickly. We can do it for every single piece of content in our system, which is tens of thousands of pieces of content. Just the efficiency with which we can now take these crazy, unstructured, really difficult to understand environments and distill it down to, okay, people are talking really positively about your film. Here's the words that they're using. And this is kind of today, you know, you guys were talking about that one piece of paper you get a year after the film is out. Imagine if you could get that piece of paper every day while you were still working on it. And it had not just sort of your box office potential and all of that good revenue information, but also the audience potential, who's looking forward to it. I, I just, I feel like there's so many great ideas and different ways we can put this information together to really enable all of our friends who are out there, you know, making some of these amazing, amazing pieces of content. You know, there's, yeah. there's so much that comes from that, that I just say, like, I want to, <laughs> I just think of, God, all the missed opportunities we've had. <laughs> You know, in the, the 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 last couple of years, the last decades, but the, the also the fact that you know maybe now is the time to 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 do it. It's not too late, and there's all that that opportunity. When you think of all the things that are missing that could help us do our work and our art better, right? Um, but again, I, I go back to first principles, which, which you know I I love because on one hand um, I love uh, that, you know, the film industry, you know, uh, embraced a lot of principles from the startup community and embraced, you know, a lot of new has embraced to some degree, a lot of new tech, but we have to do it better. And we have to always do it with what our real goals are in mind, you know, and, you know, all cultural industries are often referred to as also the passion industries, you know, which is like the, the beauty of the, the, the human spirit we love, right. We really get engaged, you know, and we look for those things that tell us about who we are, that are transformable about transformational, whatever that word is about <laughs> how we can change and, and grow it at, at, at any, at any time. And you want to keep that filter alive. Like when you think about what a social moment is, a social moment is authentic, right? Like that's the key piece. Doesn't just feel authentic. It's a, like the best things are authentic. And so often when people see all the opportunity for, you know, if we could actually harvest data, you know, and develop best practices, which we can, when we see all that opportunity, people start to think, oh, we're surrendering to the machines. No, we're not surrendering to the machines. We, we still want it to be guided by the people who know best. And I would say it is actually the, the, the folks who are either the artists 
or have spent, you know, a good chunk of their life in a specific field and understand the the wide variety of mitigating factors that are always out, out there. But how do we actually still keep that alive? Like when I first joined Amazon, my boss was a man, uh, Roy Price, who, who was always like, yeah, we look at all the data and then we decide from the gut. And I love that, right? Like, like, let's try to decide what's there and what makes sense because there always are, you know, uh, flaws in the machine, flies in the ointment and cracks in the wall where the light gets through, right? And that's wonderful that that's there because it actually is the kind of inadvertent, you know, happy accident that often can make something be true to the moment that we're, we're living in. How do we do that? Look at all that's missing. We don't have a map of the film ecosystem and all the participants in a global basis, but it's actually doable. We actually don't know how to address the audiences where they actually engage, but it's actually doable. We can develop through the tools, you know, that that that, that both Diesel and and Film Chain offer. We can actually get so much better at both of those processes. Yeah. We can get yeah. closer to that goal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, it's if you asked if you asked a lot of people like what what's the problem with with filmmaking today or what whatever problem with the films being produced, it'd be like it's too much reliance on data or algorithmically decided. But that's not what we're saying here. Is that it's it's using the data in a different way and having more people having access to more data points um and, and making that uh, more more transparent um we have a few questions in the chat i'm going to try we we haven't got long and i'm going to try and keep them focused on the green light process um ian edgar is asking uh do, do we are there any examples of people using data impactfully in the creative decision making process um i'm 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 thinking uh, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, uh, yeah, got any any examples on that? Absolutely. I mean, gosh, we can do all kinds of things. So, you know, for example, there are some folks out there who have come to us and said, you know, hey, I'm looking to cast this particular role in this film and I already have the leads cast. I know what the story is mm -hmm. it's based on this, you know, book or whatever, whatever. And we're able to actually put all those things together and say, okay, well, the group of people who most likely are going to be, you know, sit, coming to, to sit for your film uh, also love these kinds of individuals. They love this kind of music. So this is where, you know, we can actually help take you know, maybe maybe you already have a list of four or five or 10 people that you're considering for a particular role. And we can actually say to you, like, you know, hey, these folks match really well into this audience. These folks are at the inverse. And depending on what your strategy is and what you're trying to do mm -hmm. and which audiences you're trying to attract, that can actually help you make that decision. I remember it was actually one it was a smaller film company that came to us and they cast it was a it was a story about. Um, a slightly older woman whose husband cheats on her and then she ends up in a relationship with a younger man. And so they were trying to figure out like how to cast those two roles in an interesting way that would be sort of appealing multi-generationally. And we were able to use our data to do some of that. In addition to the point Ted was making earlier, we can actually distill from the very first sets of marketing that are put out the door. What are the pieces that got audiences talking, excited, anticipating your film? And then how do we kind of find more of those types of moments? Like, how do we figure that out? So of course, it's the gut first that says, here are the ones we're going to test. And then we can actually come back and say, you know, these are the ones that are, that are working. And that's just... Mm -hmm. 
scraping the, the top of the iceberg here in terms of different ways that we've seen our data used. We've also seen it used to say, we can do a sitcom with this person or this person, you know, how should we think about that? It's There are all kinds of things that can be answered with the data. The, the trick is setting it up correctly and then really, and again, this is where we come in, right? Which is doing the math right, because you don't want to end up with, with misinformation or misleading information. You really have to know how to interpret it correctly so that it can actually empower the decisions that you're making. I've seen a ton of business plans for uh, movies. You know, if, if each of those producers and filmmakers, you know, went went to Diesel and Film Chain ahead of time and said, OK, I want to show you the addressable audience for my film and the different points of engagement. And then here are how such films and in, in genres and audiences and, you know, themes and psycho you know, analysis, psychographics or whatever, um, ha have addressed those and earned revenue from the past. And this is, you know, a subset of such films and where that revenue comes from. And so we're looking to, to diversify our revenue streams in proven ways, you know, that Film Chain has, has demonstrated. You know, um, and uh, we have these tactics to address that, to build those revenue streams using those addressable audiences. I bet you would see a lot more of those films getting financed. Yeah. Well, that's one of the things too, that we've been um, uh, we've been working with Anjali on with uh, with Future of Film Incubator, really trying to give the filmmakers that insight and uh, and, and create a, a different pipeline to create a different way to to bring the stories um, a more effective pipeline. Um, so I completely agree. We got we've we've covered so much here, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna really try to um, hurriedly um, summarize some of the key points. I mean, we talked about data, uh, data transparency, more data points, really using those creatively. Um, uh, a lot of this also touches on a, on a longer term approach, um, and, and really, as Ted pointed out, knowing what your end objectives are and, and in embedding that into your decision making, your your green light process, your green light pitch. Um, uh, it also, bringing communications and the marketing process, and I mean marketing, not in just you know tweets and stuff. It's it's about um, it's it's about what is the value of your product? Understanding the value of your product and the value of, of in the marketplace, and bringing that into the creative process, um, and really placing an emphasis on that, and um, and thinking about how to leverage those um, bad bunny moments. And there's, I mean, some of the things I think the, the the thing which is resonating with me here is that some of this is individual, right? Some of this is like we can do this on our own. We can make that decision. We can say yes, I'm going to go this way. But some of this is also more collective and more structural. And I don't know, you know, what that what does that look like? Um, is that is that is that a, 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 a you know a um, a loose grouping of uh, of organisations. A um, any any thoughts, Ted, on that in terms of how we how we bring this together as a um, a, a collective or or indeed arena. Uh, do, do you, uh, you in fact, arena. T tell me, you you work so closely with um, not only you know the the filmmakers, but a lot of you know technology companies as well. 
how, how you know well, how, how do we solve this <laughs> yeah i mean alex it's all it's all about adoption at the end of the day this is not a technology problem the tech is there you can do a lot with already technology like financial technology that's been available and used on you know ted mentioned substract i can mention a, a number of other solutions that are using real-time payments other industries uh why haven't we seen it uh, up to, to now why aren't people getting their dollars euros pounds paid into their account as soon as the distributor pays in uh into a film account um these are all things that um we, we really i really believe it's not a tech problem it's an adoption problem it's a matter of uh companies um uh, really taking a hard look and seeing well why aren't we using it So that was my conversation with Ted Hope, Arena Albita, and Anjali Mida on the day it was announced that the strikes had finally finished. So that just seems to me to say thank you for listening, and I hope to see you back on Future of Film podcast very soon.